And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. How many of you think that you should have victory over your sin for the purpose of glorifying your Savior, uh, the Savior who loved you enough to go to the cross uh, while you were still an ungrateful rebel? I hope that's your heart. You see, sin always dishonors the Lord. A holy life, it glorifies Him. Sin disrupts our fellowship with the Lord. A holy life allows us to enjoy sweet communion with Him. Now, since the aim of of Christianity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, all Christians should want to win over sin. The big question is, how do we gain consistent victory over the sin that so easily trips us up? Now, our text provides some solid answers to the crucial question. It's not the complete answer in that Paul doesn't mention the role of the Holy Spirit here. He doesn't do that until chapter 8. But he does give us some helpful strategies for just the daily battle that we all face against temptation and against sin. Now, the point of Romans 6 is to show that justification by grace through faith alone does not result in continuing sin, as Paul's critics alleged, but rather in sanctification. From verses 15 to 23, Paul uses the analogy of slavery to respond to the charge that his teaching that we are not under law but under grace, they say that would lead to sin. Well, in verse 19, he commands us to present our members as slaves to righteousness. Then in verses 20 to 23, he gives the reasons why we should obey this command. When we were slaves of sin, we were free in regard to righteousness. But what did that get us? We had no benefit from our shameful deeds, which were actually only heading us toward death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, we gain the benefits of sanctification with eternal life as the outcome. And of course, verse 23 sums it up by contrasting the wages of sin, which is death, with God's free gift of eternal life. And in these verses, Paul tells us that to win over sin, give yourself as a slave of righteousness in view of your spiritual past, your present, and future. Now let's pray. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to to just bow the knee and admit that we need your help. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be here to lead us and guide us into all truth. Father, that we would see that you have called us, Father, to uh, overcome sin. Father, it, it is it is it is real, and and God, uh, it, sometimes it is difficult. And so we pray that you'd give give us wisdom, that you'd give us insight. Father, that you do a work in our heart that at the end of the day we'd say, yep, that was God's doing, not mine, certainly. So, Father, do that work and we'll give you praise and glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we saw in, in verses 15 through 18 last week, Paul gives two and only two options. Either you are enslaved to sin and free with regard to righteousness, or, and that, of course, results in death, or you are freed from sin and enslaved to God, resulting in righteousness and eternal life. There's no middle ground. There's no, there's no room for a person who says, well, Jesus is my Savior, but yeah, He's not my Lord. There are two and only two masters, and you must choose. Will you continue as a slave of sin, which is the default mode for all of us by birth, 
Or will you submit to Jesus as Lord and give yourself as a slave of righteousness? So point number one, to win over sin, give yourself as a slave to righteousness. This is verse 19. Paul says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, uh, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, before we consider Paul's command here, what does he mean when he says that, that he is speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations? Well, in the context, I don't think that he is rebuking his readers. I think he's apologizing right in the middle of this rather long, extended slavery analogy. He's saying, in effect, as frail human beings, we need analogies. We need illustrations of spiritual truth but often these are imperfect. Uh, Paul realizes that many of his readers are actually slaves. And, and that slavery, it's an imperfect analogy. There are many repugnant aspects of human slavery that don't apply to our relationship with the Lord. But in other ways, it is quite useful. God has bought us with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we belong to Him and we owe Him total unquestioning obedience. That kind of sounds like slavery, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what it is. Now, the word for goes on to explain, you might say, the valid part of the analogy, namely, that just as we formerly presented ourselves as slaves to sin, so now we should present ourselves as slaves to righteousness. Now, present, that repeats Paul's command from verse 13. If you remember, he said there, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, the verb present, it means to give oneself, give oneself as a servant or slave. Douglas Moo, he explains Paul's point here. He says, Paul thus makes clear that Christians should serve righteousness with all the single-minded dedication that characterized their pre-Christian service of such idols as self, money, lust, pleasure, and power, end quote. Um, we, we repeatedly gave ourselves to those false gods in the past, so now we must repeatedly give ourselves to serve God and righteousness. Now, practically, there are, are two things to keep in mind as you learn to obey Paul's command here. First, as we saw last, last time, you got to serve somebody. So when you're tempted, ask yourself, whose slave do I want to be? And there are only two options. Do you want to serve sin, which will drag you further and further into impurity, defilement, and ultimately destruction? Or do you want to be a slave of God and righteousness? If you, if you go the slave of sin route, it, it, it heads towards death in verse 21. And since Paul contrasts death with eternal life in verse 23, he means that this life of enslavement to sin leads to eternal spiritual death, what we would call hell. Spiritual death is the justly earned wage of a life of slavery to sin. Eternal life, on the other hand, is not the wage earned by righteousness, no, it's the free gift of God. But believers who have received God's free gift of eternal life, they're characterized as being slaves of righteousness. You can tell where they're heading, talking about eternal life here, by their growing life of holiness or sanctification. So when you're tempted, ask yourself, 
Whose slave do I want to be? Well, second, keep in mind that Paul is describing a process, not a once-for-all decision that somehow catapults you into a state of total sanctification where sin no longer tempts you. Some wrongly teach that you should seek for a dramatic spiritual experience that will transport you beyond sin, beyond temptation. They promise that those who experience this spiritual secret, they'll be free from the battles with the flesh that the rest of us unlightened Christians struggle with. If you'll just learn the secret of letting go and letting God, your Christian life will be one of effortless, continual fellowship with Christ. Well, so goes the pitch. But it's not the biblical picture. Sanctification is a lifelong process that requires a daily battle against sin and temptation. Now, verse 19 shows the process works in both directions. Either you turn down the fork in the road labeled slaves of sin, which leads you down into more and more impurity and lawlessness, or you turn up the road marked slaves of righteousness. And that causes you to grow more and more to be like Christ as you obey Him as your new master. Now, frankly, neither path is a, a smooth, paved highway. It'd be nice if it were, but it's not. Picture them both as uh, rough four-wheel drive roads where you have to go around and over boulders and, and go through rushing streams. But the, mark, the road marks slave to impurity. It doesn't get you where you want to go, even after taking the trouble to drive down it. It leads to death. But the road marks slaves of righteousness. It ends up in heaven. That means if you're not moving in the direction of holiness, you really need to examine your heart and whether you are truly saved. Do you love God more now than you used to? Do you hate your sin more and more? Do you love others more, as seen in laying down your rights to serve them? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit more in your daily life? In 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says, Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. The first step in winning over sin is to present yourself as a slave to righteousness. Well, point number two, to win over sin, remember your shameful past as a slave of sin. Uh, to show you why you should present yourself as a slave of righteousness, Paul reminds us of the other option, and, and which we were all following, and that's verses 20 and 21. He says, for when you were, so this is looking at your past life, outside of Christ, while you were still in Adam. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you, were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So even if you were raised in a Christian family, there was a point in your life at which you were a slave of sin. Since the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, the entire human race is born enslaved to sin. Now, maybe you want to shout, but that's not fair. I didn't choose to be born in sin. But the truth is, even though you were born as a slave to sin, it's not an unwilling enslavement. Unbelievers sin because they want to sin. They like sinning. Even when they know that they are addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever, and even though they know that these sins are causing huge problems, they keep doing them because they like sinning. 
To be delivered from sin, God has to give you a new nature through the new birth. Otherwise, you'll just keep doing what you've always liked doing, namely sinning. Now, there seems to be a touch of humor or irony in verse 20. Those who do not want to submit to God claim that they are now free, and they don't want to give up their freedom. They protest, I want to be free to have sex with whoever I want. I want to be free to get drunk or to use drugs. I don't need religion taking away my fun and telling me how to live. But Paul says, yes, such folks are free from righteousness, all right. It doesn't even blip across their radar screen to, to let them know which way to go. But don't let it, let it escape your attention that they are not free people. They are slaves of sin. When you gave yourself to impurity and lawlessness, it didn't satisfy your needs. It only made you crave more. So you committed worse and worse sins. How many have ever lived in that cycle of where sin just kept getting, you know, it just kept getting worse and worse. It never takes you up. It always takes you down. To feed your lust with just a little bit of pornography, boy, that's like pouring gas on a raging fire. It doesn't alleviate your lust. It only burns stronger. Slaves of sin do not manage their sin for their own enjoyment. Rather, sin is a cruel tyrant that dominates and destroys them. That's its only goal. So in verse 21, Paul asks us before we yield to sin to stop and think about what benefits we got out of sin when it was our master, when we are, were its slaves. What did you gain from having sin as your master? His implied answer is nothing at all. In fact, the evil tyrant of sin was destroying you and leading you toward death. So why yield to sin now? Before we leave verse 21, let me say to every Christian that we all have things from the past of which we are now ashamed. That's what Paul tells us. What, we, what should we do when those things pop into our mind? Well, first, let the memory of those sins humble you so that you deal graciously with fellow sinners. You were once a slave of, of sin, so don't be self-righteous and judgmental toward those who are still slaves of sin. Rather, point them to God's abundant grace in Christ for sinners. Second, thank God for loving you in spite of your sin and for sending Christ to die for your sins. And third, be on guard against falling back into those old sins. We are not invulnerable. Once you've yielded to a sin, it will always hold a powerful attraction, even when you're enjoying fellowship with Christ. So be on guard. So to win over sin, present yourself to God as a slave to righteousness. Remember your shameful past as a slave of sin. Now Paul addresses the now, the present. So number three, to win over sin, keep in mind your blessed spiritual present as a slave of God. This is verse 22. Paul says, but now, okay, it's present, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now, there are four things that I want to note here, but I'll save the fourth for verse 23 because it's, a, it's, it's repeated there. So, A, your spiritual present 
is due to a great change that God has made in your life. But now. Thank God for the but gods and the but nows in Scripture. Those words signal the great change that God brought about when He took you from the reign of sin and death and placed you in Christ under the reign of grace through righteousness. You were a slave of sin, but now you are freed from that sin. Paul often draws this really sharp contrast between our former life and what God has done for us in Christ. Uh, over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he describes the sad former plight of the Gentiles. He says, They were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's pretty bleak sounding, isn't it? How many of you want to be in that camp? That doesn't sound too good. But verse 13, it shows a great change. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He does the same thing in Ephesians 5.8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. I read of an old black preacher. He used to say, we ain't what we want to be. We ain't what we're going to be. But thank God we ate what we was. If you have met Christ Jesus as Savior, there's a huge but now in your life that God has made. It will be your spiritual present rests on your new position in Christ. The command of verse 19 rests on the fact of verse 18, which is repeated in verse 22. God freed you from sin and made you a slave of righteousness in Jesus Christ. This is your new position in Christ. God did it for you through His grace, through His power. And it's true of all Christians, not just of some who have attained some higher level of spirituality. Paul repeatedly states in, that in Christ we all have died to sin and we've been raised to newness of life. Therefore, be what you now are. Live in light of your new position in Christ. God has declared us to be in Christ, identified with Him in His death to sin and resurrection to new life. Our present victory over sin depends on counting that. Remember that? Count it as true each time we're faced with temptation. We'll see your spiritual present, the now, that includes the many wonderful benefits of sanctification. And when I say sanctification, that just means being made holy, you know, being conformed into the image of the Son. There's lots of different ways of uh, uh, talking about sanctification. It, it just means being more Christ-like. Satan often paints the picture that a life of sin is one of freedom and pleasure, whereas a life of holiness is one of bondage and misery. What a lie. I mean, what did Jesus say? He's the father of all lies. It's a lie. A life of sin destroys fellowship with the gracious and loving Heavenly Father. Sin destroys loving human relationships, which can be the source of much comfort and encouragement. Sin tears apart generations of family members who need each other. Sinful parents abuse their children, depriving them of the tender love and training that they will need. Rebellious children, they cast off the wise guidance and experience of their parents. 
Selfish and greedy family members, they fight over the inheritance, tearing apart relationships for the sake of stuff that will soon perish. Sin is an all-purpose, all-around destroyer. That's the only thing it's good for. But holiness, it blesses those who walk in it, and it blesses those around them. Holy people enjoy fellowship with the living God. Holy husbands sacrificially love their wives as Christ loved the church. Holy fathers show grace and kindness of the Lord to their children, training them to love and follow the Lord for their own good. Holy young people, they walk in the ways of the Lord, avoiding the terrible scars that come from sexual immorality, drugs, alcohol, and abusive relationships. Holy church members, they care for one another, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, being patient, and loving toward one another. How many have ever, at one time in your life, looked at a Matthew Henry, Matthew Henry commentary? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's kind of well known for that. He was a pastor. He's a Bible commentator. He was on his deathbed in 1714. He was only 52 years old. He had endured the loss of a wife and of three of his children. He was relatively young, like I say, only 52. He could, have, he could have complained. He could have been bitter about his early death. But here's what he said to a very close friend. He told him, you have been used to taking notice of the saying of dying men. This is mine. This is Jonathan, I mean, I mean uh, Matthew Henry, talking to his friend. He says that a life spent in the service of God... And communion with Him is the most comfortable and pleasant life that one can live in the present world, end quote. That is the benefit of being enslaved to God. So when you're tempted to sin, remember your spiritual presence as a slave of God, including the blessings of a holy life. Well, number four, to win over sin, look forward to your glorious spiritual future, that is, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The outcome of the present life of holiness is eternal life. Paul repeats this in verse 23, contrasting it rather sharply with the outcome of a life of sin. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, verse 23 begs for a sermon all by itself, but I'm trying to make my way through Romans, so I'll be brief. If I did a sermon, it would probably have three contrasts, working for wages versus receiving a free gift. That's a big difference. Serving sin versus serving God. And of course, the final outcome of death versus eternal life. Now, a fourth point would be that God's free gift comes to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, this verse is quite often used in evangelism. If you know the Romans Road, this is one of the, one of the pins. I've got an evangelist sitting over here nodding his head and going, yeah, yeah, right? Uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, uh, free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, that is certainly good, but in this context here, Paul uses it to show why being under grace does not lead believers to sin more. That's, that's what he's been battling this whole time. Believers know that sin pays a terrible wage, death. But receiving God's free, gracious gift results in eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. 
We get to spend all of eternity in the presence of our Lord, loving Lord Jesus, who gave himself to save us from hell. Again, so why sin? The word wages was used of a soldier's pay. Picture a cruel dictator. He doesn't care about his infantry. They're only pawns to preserve his luxurious lifestyle in the palace while they're out there on the front lines taking bullets and shrapnel and eating horrible rations and separated from all the comforts of home. And of course, their wage is death. That's the wage that sin pays to its servants. If you continue in a life of sin, you'll experience hardship now and eternal punishment as your final paycheck. Go, go to HR. We got a final check for you. It ain't good. But God offers a free gift. Freedom from sin and a joyous life of knowing the only true God through Jesus Christ. You begin enjoying that gift right now. And the final paycheck when you die is eternal life with this loving and gracious God. Seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Do you want to go on being a slave of sin with that final paycheck of eternal death? Or do you want to receive God's free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord? So how do you experience consistent victory? Well, first, receive the gift of eternal life. If you have never trust, trusted in Christ, you are hopelessly and helplessly under the reign of sin and death. But Christ died and rose again to free you from sin. You must be born again in order to conquer sin. Then present, present yourself to God as a slave of righteousness. He is your new master. You no longer have authority over your body. He does. Obey his word. Remember your shameful past as a slave of sin before he redeemed you. Keep in mind your blessed present, enjoying all the unfathomable riches of Christ. And look forward to your glorious spiritual future of eternal life, free from all sin, in the presence of the one who died to save you. Now, you're never going to be sinlessly perfect in this life, but you can grow in holiness and consistently win over sin. Let's pray. Father, it seems at times that sin is the great challenge. And Father, that is simply um, another way of stating that uh, something else is getting the glory that you deserve in our lives. Father, we are to have no other gods before us. And whatever sin it is that, is that plagues us, that is a form of God in our own lives. So God, I pray that you would help us to see that, help us to understand it. Reveal that truth to us, Father. Break our hearts over our sin. Father, we want to be like Christ. Help us do it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you don't know Christ, if you, you know, using language of a few sermons ago, if you're still in Adam, okay, you've never had, you don't have a relationship with the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ, then we would say you're lost. You don't know God the Father. Jesus said, um, you know, that nobody can come to the Father except through me. So I'm encouraging you this morning. If you do not know Jesus Christ, if you do not know God, uh, turn to him. Ask God to forgive you for sins. He's the one that you have offended with your sin. David in, in Psalm 51 says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Huh. 
What had he done? Well, adultery with Bathsheba, murdered her husband Uriah. But he says, nope, it's you, God, that I've sinned against. Your sin is against your Creator. So you ask Him to forgive you of your sins. You trust what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago when He died for your sin. Remember what John said about Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You trust what Christ did. You don't trust yourself. That's, that's our tendency. That's our, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? We think we got it because of that, and it ain't so. No, we, we cannot trust ourselves. We trust Christ. If you stand before God, commending yourself to Him, you, you, it's a lost battle. The only thing that God is going to recognize is if you are covered with the blood of Christ. That's what washes away our sins. Turn to God today through His Son, Jesus. If you're a Christian, you understand what I'm talking about, about battling with sin, right? Galatians chapter 5 tells us that there's, we have this flesh and we have the Spirit and that they are in conflict with one another so that you cannot do the things that you want to do. We recognize that. Over time, certain things fall to the side concerning sin, don't they? I hope they do. That doesn't, that doesn't tempt you anymore. Something else does. Trust me, when God gets you over one sin, He's simply going to reveal another that you need to work on. All right? It's during those times that you need to remember, yes, I am in Christ. I don't have to sin. Sin is no longer my master. And just keep in mind what we've been saying. If you're not growing in holiness, man, check to see whether or not you really know Christ as your Savior. That's the road that He puts you on. Right? It's to be conformed to the image of His Son. I hope that's you as a believer, that every day you're submitting to God as your Creator, to Jesus as your Savior, and you're forsaking your sin. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.